From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Goal Own Goal. Joining me, a man who's put plenty in both ends uh, of the pitch in his time, the great Roger Mitchell. How are you, Mitty? <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that brings to mind something I'm going to mention later. Did you see that thing with um, Match of the Day, Grant, and uh, the post? <laughs> I did, I did. <laughs> both ends. I, I thought, uh, well, we'll get, well, we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where are you, yeah, by I, the way? I mean, where are you? Are you in Davos? Yeah, right. I, mean, I wouldn't be called dead in Davos. I wouldn't go there in a, in a I know that. I know. bound and gagged in the trunk of a car. <laughs> but, tell, um, but tell people about Davos, Grant, because like, this is something that caught my eye. You know, Man United this year are at Davos. Did you see that? Yeah, but they're a company, Rog. In, in, they're a company now, right? Enter, they're not. They're not. <laughs> to entertain clients and partners there in Davos. Man, oh man. Yeah. Man, oh man. Yeah, well, I look, I mean, people listening to this, their exposure to Davos, if they if they weren't familiar with it before COVID, um, they'll have become familiar with it uh, through COVID because the, the people responsible for Davos, the World Economic Forum, or WEF, chaired by the the Bond villain come to life, Klaus Schwab, yes. have become yes. um, the bet noir for, for every conspiracy theory on the planet regarding <laughs> vaccines and just about everything else. Um, now, to be sure, it is a bunch of completely out-of-touch fat cats flying from all over the world in their private jets to an exclusive resort in the Swiss Alps to talk about climate change and how the world can be made a better place. And I, I would suggest they start by disbanding Davos. That would that would go a long way to curing the world's ills, I, I think. Well, but, yeah. No, if you are if you are a corporate somebody um, or a policymaker, uh, government official, whatever it might be, it, it's the place to be seen. I'm not necessarily saying it's the place to be, but you 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 want your invite. You want to feel important to be included with the Davos crowd. And so it's no great surprise to me that Man United are there, Rog, being you know a, a, an important stock market company, an important global brand, it does not surprise me in the slightest that they're at Davos. It was funny when you were just giving that explanation about the fat cats and everything like that. It did have a little bit of a FIFA, IOC, UEFA uh, ring to that description there. You know, it does. And I'm just wondering, are are these organisations on their last legs? Um, You know, Davos, as you say, is, is, is... it's got a lot of perception problems now, you know, like I I, I I don't listen to it, but it comes up in the feed sometimes, you know, the, the CEO of Morgan Stanley um, defending Elon Musk about how an, amaz- yeah. an amazing entrepreneur he is. Now, this isn't the same week that Elon Musk has been proven to have lied dramatically over the videos of self-auto-drive now, where do these people get off? Do they think they're going to get away with this? Well, look. This can, uh, these lies. <laughs> All right, you want to go down that rabbit hole? Okay, I'll follow you. Yeah, I do, I do. I'll it's it's, it's a big okay. thing. So, look, in 2016, um, 
Tesla released what's what's known as the famous Paint It Black video, which uh, showed a guy coming out of his office, his Tesla pulling up to meet him, him getting in the Tesla and it driving you know through all traffic and dropping him off at his destination, then parking itself, all set to the Rolling Stones Paint It Black. And it famously had text that came up at the beginning of it saying something along the lines of, uh, don't quote me verbatim, but the driver is only there for legal reasons. He's not actually doing anything. Um, and the implication was clear that this that Tesla would drive itself, would pick you up, would be able to do all this stuff, drive you wherever you want to go. You wouldn't have to involve yourself. You could sit back and relax, you know, get you there, drop you off at the door and then go and park itself. It was clear what the implications were. And bear in mind, this all happened within months of um, there being serious concerns about Tesla possibly going bankrupt. Um, this video uh, was at the time decried by all the kind of Tesla bears saying, look, this car cannot do this. This is nonsense. The technology is not there. This is a complete fraud, blah, 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 blah. They got shouted down. And now in depositions for Elon's latest lawsuit, I don't know how much time he spends in court giving depositions, but it's a considerable amount of his time, <laughs> they've deposed the guy who was basically the head of the autopilot software at the time who has said that the whole thing was staged. That that they had a, 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 a they went out and had a three dimensional map of this the room already sorted out. Um, that 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 software malfunctioned. It crashed into a fence. It went over curbs. It did all kinds of crazy stuff that they they chopped out. Um, so basically, the video was a fraud. Now, two years ago, Trevor Milton, the then CEO of Nikola, which is another electric vehicle company, yep. which um, this time was was trying to uh, persuade the world how good it would be to have electric. Uh, semi-trucks um, to, to haul loads everywhere. Um, he was called out for faking a video of this truck in the Arizona desert saying basically they rolled the thing down a hill and pretended that it was driving <laughs> because they didn't have a working drivetrain. Um, now, look, within the context of the Silicon Valley fake it till you make it culture, which is exactly what the Theranos excuse was, why you know she was faking yeah. this whole... Um, Theranos blood. blood testing stuff, which is obviously <laughs> could have potentially deadly results. Um, Trevor Milton ended up in prison uh, and Musk has done something no different to what Trevor Milton did. They faked a product, faked something that didn't exist, took millions, hundreds of millions in deposits for the Model 3 on the back of it and saved the company. So, look, I mean, coming back to James Gorman, the Morgan Stanley CEO, and why he's defending Musk and calling him such a great innovator, there's a reason for that as well, Rog. It's not because he's a great innovator, it's because... Um, Morgan Stanley have loaned Musk tens of billions of dollars against his Tesla stock uh, on margin. Oh, on margin. Oh. So Morgan Stanley... So he's holding, talking up his collateral. He's talking up his collateral. He's talking up his collateral. Exactly Stanley. right. So, yes, if he came out and said, Elon Musk is a total fraud and the Tesla stock collapses, that's the collateral they've got for billions of dollars of loans <laughs> to Musk. And and they're on the hook for the, the debt you know, that, that he used to buy Twitter. Twitter, um, yeah. And that's coming up for uh, rollover. So, look, it's, there's no interest uh, stronger than self-interest, Rog, unfortunately. And, and if you want to see self-interest writ large, go to Davos every year. It'd be yeah, it's right there yeah. front and centre. Yeah, my advice to Man United would, and any other club is, is don't go there. Don't go there. It's not a good look. Uh, the world, it's not a good look. It is not a good look. It's like uh, NFTs that go to zero. Same thing. Don't go there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, mate, anyway, what have you got for me this week? What have I got for you this week? Well, I, I want to start off with this Arsenal-Man United game yesterday, Rog. Um, 
which I feel sure you probably would have seen. Uh, Yes. Uh, on a on a pirate feed, can I just say on a pirate feed? I'm in Scotland. I pay for Sky in Italy. Okay. I pay for everything that's going, but I come to the UK and it's not available. And I go on Twitter and I've got my selection of twenty. Now was it was feeds. it? If I, had you been in Italy, could you have watched it? Yeah. So I've why? Got, I've got so, so Sky all you need is a VPN and log into your own Sky account in London. You know that. Oh yeah, but that's EVPN and all that. It's a different thing. In some way, it's kind of like gaming the system. But the point is, Grant, uh, apart from that being a silly way to sell sports rights, and I think the whole industry knows that, that it's a nonsense. The point is that did I go down, down the road of working out a VPN? No, I went on Twitter and I had a selection of 20 feeds from all over the world. I could have chosen... BN Sport uh, with Andy Townsend. I could have chosen Gary Neville and uh, Martin Tyler. I could have chosen some guy from Arabia, um, which I didn't obviously because um, I couldn't understand them. Um, <laughs> but 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 you know, um, you no. Know, listen, before we get into the game, since you brought this up, well, since I brought it up with piracy, you know, um, I, I saw a stat this week that says. Uh, a huge percentage of people, certainly young people, are um, u- using piracy. And, you know, the thing that that, that, that I, I just, I, I've always been on this for a couple of years, a couple of years, Grant, but the thing that hit me like an epiphany on Saturday is this. You know, remember when I talked about when I was in New York and there was the two guys from ESPN on the stage and they said uh, piracy was uh, leakage, like, you know, shoplifting or something like that. And I said, these people are totally nuts, totally nuts. I, I, over the last week, was speaking to a lot of people about some of the deals that are getting done in, in sport with private equity, you know, the SPACs, everything like that. And whichever way you cut it, Grant, whichever way you cut it, it's about future broadcast values. You know, people that are buying Leon, Olympic Lyonnais, that's what they're called, I think, they're making a bet on French football rights, uh, domestic and international, and they believe that they will go go up and, and certainly not lose money. I can't see how they can think that when you look at the piracy stats and especially in the younger generations, nobody, to quote the famous Dan Porter from Como, no Gen Z is going to buy your fucking subscription. Quotes. You know, and he's right. He's right. So I, I, I'm I just thinking they're all basing it on sports uh, values. And I think piracy is a huge issue. They will reply, Grant. They will reply, reply. Oh, but look at the NFL. Look at um, look at NBC and the Premiership. Uh, some of the big ones are still going up huge, which is true. Which is true. So all the stuff that you know, I just had this as I say this epiphany. So much blah 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 around articles and trends and podcasts and everything. For me, mate, it comes down to this. Reconcile for me, Batman. Riddle me this. Are sports rights going up or are they going down? And the answer is some are going up and some are going down. You know, I read uh, today, this morning, the Australian, I think the tennis open uh, in India, the value's gone down. Because guess what? Australia tennis rights, regardless of Andy Murray for six hours at 2am in the morning, 
Nobody gives a shit, right? Nobody gives a shit. Uh, so I'm just thinking all of this, it's all about the polarisation uh, into sports rights, big or not. I think most of them are going down. Some of them will go up like NFL, EPL. But you put all that into the mix, Grant, and I'm sorry I'm taking you away from the game. We'll come back to it. You put all that in the mix, into the modelling, are they going up or are they going down? And you have to change the discount rate for the higher cost of capital. I'm convinced, mate, that most of the modelling in the sports industry is flawed. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't disagree with any of that, Rog. I don't disagree with any of that. The question is, what does it mean? Because and until the clubs are selling their games DTC, what does it mean? Because if you're looking for rights for the Premier League, you are getting rights to Brentford Leeds and you are paying for Brighton against Nottingham Forest as well as Man United, Man City. Um, and it's, you know, it's collective bargaining. That, that's what's that's what's going on here. And that was, you know, that, one of the other things I, I know we'll talk about is the Apple documentary about the Super League. And this yeah, all kind of will. ties, everything ties into itself. Um, but I think you're right. I think I think um, a lot of this stuff has to change now, inclu- including players' wages. Having watched that documentary, you realise these clubs <laughs> are absolutely over a barrel. And for me, the whole financial fair play thing is the absolute crux of this. If that, that doesn't crux. if that doesn't get sorted and enforced, then none of this works ultimately. Because you will have three or four clubs who are completely price insensitive, paying whatever to get all the best players. You'll have six teams of Galacticos, and and the rest of them playing in in their own league. Yeah, which which means that the Super League will happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, sorry, I derailed you. Uh, before we go on to the uh, the, the game yesterday, I just uh, I'll, I'll tee it up a little bit. On Friday, I was in London. I met some people. It was great to see a lot of people. And they're all so kind. You know, they're all so kind. Um, and I'm grateful to them all. One of them was Elliot Richardson, our, our old mate Elliot, right? Well, he'd had a good and day Grant, yesterday. Yeah, he had a good day, right? But he and I were in a meeting on Friday and we had a load of stuff to talk about on business. Like a full agenda, Grant, a full agenda. Can't go into a lot of it, but a full agenda. You know what we spent ninety percent talking about? <laughs> yeah, cool. You, you, you know the answer. Arsenal. You know the answer. Yeah, that the Ukrainian boy. You know, like it was so funny because, like, you know, it's so easy to fall into this kind of conversation. You know, it's a uh, yeah. You know, it was difficult. You know what happens there? How are these decisions made? Who makes the decision? The local mafia and all this kind of stuff. And, 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 you know, he doesn't want to be there at Chelsea. Look at his face. His face is like fizz. He wanted to come to us. And I said, um, I said, you know what? I think you dodged a bullet there. I mean, just look at his haircut. And I said, you know, he's a great player. I've always liked him. He's a great player. But look, and, and, and before I could finish, he said, Charlie Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the point is we spent two hours, one hour, 45 minutes talking about Arsenal, how they get over the line for this championship. you got to love football, man. you got to love it. Well, I think after after yesterday's performance, Rog, it's it's... I think the conversation has now switched to how do they not get over the line? I thought they were magnificent yesterday, absolutely magnificent. You know, it was it was such a throwback to the to the glory years of the Premier League. You know, two big clubs going toe to toe, 
great football, the speed, the the, the skill, the commitment. I thought, it was, I thought it was tremendous. I mean, there were there were a few notable exceptions, like Anthony. What a waste of money he looks like. Good grief. Um, but uh, mm. but overall, you know, it was everything that the Premier League stood for, right? It was everything that made the Premier League what it is, you know, two, two titans going at each other, 90-minute winner in, in Fergie time. It was it was tremendous. I, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed the whole th- the whole thing. Uh, but but let, I want to talk about Arsenal because yeah. I, I went and saw them earlier this year with with their mate Colin um, against Villa, and yeah, they looked like a very very good side. Uh, I thought the Spurs derby, which I watched with a whole bunch of Arsenal fans, they absolutely played them off the park. Really well set up, well coached, well drilled. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And now they've passed the Man United test. Um, again, you know, a diff, very different game. Uh, to me, Rog, they are the real deal and it is theirs to lose at this point. Yeah, um, I, I'm hesitant to go into that uh, whole, you know, Arsenal were always the real deal and people are now just realising. I, I, I did get dog's abuse uh, earlier in the season and, 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 and it's not about me because I just basically had people that are close to Arsenal telling me, Arteta's building something really important here. Yeah, uh, I saw in the, I saw in the documentary something. Well, that, that was the key I, for I'm me. I agree. To, I agree. I, exactly. Exactly. It gave you it gave you all the hints, didn't it? And um, t- t- to be honest, you know, like uh, in some way he's managed to use again. You're referring to the golden age of the Premiership. Well, let's go back to those days. You win nothing with kids, said Alan Hansen. Yes. Well, actually, you do. You do. I mean, this is a really, really young team. And, you know, um, I was saying on Friday, I was saying one of the things that I think may trip them up is that if they they lose one, whether it's the, the City game or, or, or any regular fixture, they may lose two or three in a row just because young kids do that. that I guess that is always the point about you don't want to be young kids. And I was thinking that Arsenal really could have done with that or could do with that kind of like old Dave Mackay type figure, you know, a real old pro, a Stuart Pierce or something like that. Just maybe it doesn't even start, but, you know, bring them on 20 minutes before the end and just calm the kids down. Um, because, you know, they, they are better than City, I think. City have had to change their game because of Haaland. You know, um, yeah, he scored all these hard tricks. He's an amazing player. But, you know what, I don't think they're as effective this year playing with that centre forward and I'm not sure they can beat Arsenal I'm not sure Grant well it's going to be it's going to be the big test right? I, I think Arsenal have got play them a couple of times in, in the not too distant future yeah. I think right so I mean that's going to be it I mean obviously if City win both those games the gap's gone and it's it's as Fergie used to say squeaky bum tame um, <laughs> but uh, I would love it <clears throat> I would love it yeah right. But, but you know, I, I, I saw that you talk about that documentary. That was for me. Yeah. That was that was such a clue. Uh, you know, watching that, I thought I thought Arteta was brilliant. But uh, I think I said to you this at the time. For me, I want Granite Xhaka, who had copped an awful lot of abuse at the time. He'd been sent off, a bit rash, a few red cards. He'd had the captaincy taken away. Um, but I said at the time, he's the first guy I want on my team sheet because you can see how much it all matters to him. training. Games, yeah. everything. He, 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 it matters, and I think if you have that midfield they've got with Xhaka, Partey, and Odegaard is absolutely fantastic. They, they, now they've got seven, I think, of their eleven starting eleven yesterday have played every game this season, which could be a yeah. problem. 
But to um, to lose Gabriel Jesus as well as he was playing and to still be doing what they're doing, um, I think Zinchenko is magnificent. I don't know why City let him go. Uh, yeah, I think he's agreed. magnificent. I just, you know, they're just it, it, it. It's you know, you could never as a neutral, you could never really feel good about City as as great as they were to watch. But there's something about Arsenal as a club that, as a neutral, you can actually feel good about them playing well and being at the top of the league. For me, Rog, anyway. The, the adjective you're looking for is proper. Yeah. Um, and did you see that video that was on yes, YouTube? I did. Yeah, you know, like all the, you know, proper. Proper you know, this, like, proper that, yeah. It is, it, it is the adjective in football. And, and Arsenal have got that in spades, you know, like they just do. Uh, and um, it's very exciting. It's very exciting for, for that club. Uh, and and the people that follow them, uh, and and you know, good luck to them. But like you know, as, as you said, um, it kind of like leads us into the the whole macro area of of football that was in that Apple documentary yeah. that I thought was really good. I did too. You know, yeah. Um, I thought they were going to go down the whole easy narrative about the good guys won. Let's all have a laugh, and but they didn't because in in the second half of it, they they talked about the. The, the 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 struggles of of UEFA over the years that they've kind of like dropped their pants every time the big clubs have stood up, and you know I think anybody watching that documentary saw as you say Grant that you know if you can't get wages under control you can't make a profit. There's only certain amount of people that can cover those losses. One of them were the Americans, the others are the Arabs, and if you say to the Americans uh, we're not enforcing financial fair play and we're not giving you a Super League, they're out of dodge, the Americans. And yeah, guess what? They're all going, you know? And, you know, the main takeaway I think I took away from that documentary was, um, I'm telling you, Grant, Infantino was behind the Super League. I'm telling you that. And um, that scene where, you know, he meets Chefferin before the big convention, this big speech, yeah. I don't know what was said there. But those were one of those moments that dictate a, a generation and an era. And he had the sword at uh, the throat of UEFA. And for some reason, he decided not to thrust it in. And, you know, that's that's the question we all have to answer. Why, why he did that? Why he backed off? And will he change his mind about that going forward? Because that deal's always ready to get done. Go to FIFA, give them the top clubs in the world under a FIFA-endorsed uh, super club, European Cup, whatever you want to call it, Super League, whatever you want to call it, and UEFA's dead. So I, I, I don't know how that goes forward from here, apart from Arab money is now crucial to the game today, and we all better get our head around that, I think, Grant. Well, well, let's let, let's talk about that Arab money, Rog, because it was it was as you say, it's front and center in the in the documentary. Um, I thought Nasser Al Khalifi, the the PSG uh, president, I guess he is, um, yeah, came across very Guitar well. Guy, he came across yeah. very well. I thought Chefrin came across very well, even though I, I can totally see how there is another side to that. Um, I thought Agnelli came off. Dreadfully, absolutely dreadfully. A man with yes. no principles, no morals, no ethics whatsoever talking about how there was, you know, a right way to do business I thought was just ridiculous. But <clears throat> let's talk about that Arab money because um, everywhere you look, 
Uh, and our buddy Giles Morgan sent us a, a, a piece on the Sunday Times yesterday, which I read with great interest about how Dubai and um, uh, Abu Dhabi are booming with all the all the Russian oligarchs, etc., moving there from places like London because of sanctions, which again I totally understand. But everywhere you look now, I, I, I saw that the other day I was going to ask you about this that the um, there was some kind of Italian Super Cup that was played in Riyadh. Is that correct? As was the Spanish one, yeah. As, as was the as was the Spanish one, um, and then we had this ridiculous exhibition between um, PSG and uh, uh, Ronaldo's, Ronaldo's well, well, Ronaldo, a hybrid of Ronaldo's new club and the other biggest club in the Saudi league that finished five four and Messi scored and Ronaldo scored. I mean, it, it, it's for me the Saudi money puts a sheen on sport, Rog, which is exactly what I've been railing against since the first one of these podcasts we did which is this inauthenticity this wwe style let's make it entertainment not competition and the saudi money that's coming in um and the qatari money and i'm sure in weeks and months to come the the emirati money is is taking sport in a direction that i i i'd see it very difficult for, for sport to resist but I fear for the future of all of it, Roger, if it continues to go that way. And, and this is not just football, obviously. We've seen this with Liv and the golf too and Formula One and yada, yada, Boxing. yada. Well, you know, that's why I made it the subject to the, the, the Sunday column yesterday because, you know, there's two or three things that you put in there. You know, one of them is new formats and WWE and everything like that. I think we'll, maybe we'll come on to that in a minute when we talk about KSI. Um, but I, I just look at it as a pure financier thing, you know, and it's very simple. If you're losing money and you need somebody to cover losses, it's very difficult to hold on to your principles about what you think sports should be because somebody is having to cover your losses. And as you say, that all comes back to financial fair play. And when UEFA um, caved in, uh, to both City and PSG. The writing was in the wall. Uh, ultimately, this was the way it's going. I, I, as I said in that article, I don't have a big issue with, um, with, with, with you know, Saudi and Arab money because I think for 50 years that's how the West uh, has, has worked in the main. I just think sport has maybe less of a tolerance of that than I do because they haven't joined the dots up yet. The dots are that Arabia in all its forms, Neom in Saudi, uh, price insensitive, Hollywood versus art house, that's, they're going to supercharge all these trends that I believe are inevitable anyway because I believe in the invisible hand of the market and <laughs> product market fit is that Hollywood works these days. But um, that's why I thought that documentary was quite good because it's dead easy to say, oh, the Super League is a horrible idea. These horrible people, we stopped it, rah, 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 aren't we great, kumbaya. Uh, but they didn't. They went on to the fact at the end that this problem isn't going away. Uh, and, you know, if the American big finance has been kicked out of town because they can't compete within price and sensitive money, they can't compete uh, with uh, wages that are, are without limit, then ultimately it's all going to be the English Premiership is going to turn into the Petrodollar League. And we just need to get our heads around that, Grant. I think I have. Yeah, no, look, it's, it's going exactly where you've been saying it's been going for a long time, so kudos to you. But... um Watching it all through the lens of that documentary, you realise why they caved on financial fair play because at the time when all that came up, they absolutely needed it. Uh, Sheffrin needed Al-Khalifi. 
Without him, yeah. he was a dead man walking. So, you know, the question is how binding is that going forward? Can they come to an agreement that will weaken that over time? I don't know. I mean, one, one would suspect that Al-Khalifi has the upper hand now because Jeffrey is a desperate man fighting to save the entire organisation and Khalifi has uh, other offers on the table in terms of the Super League. So I can't see that balance of power shifting anytime soon, which means, nope. you know, there's this very, very small chance that anything gets enforced, which is just going to, you know, the only thing it's going to reinforce is is the, the situation. And coming back to Arsenal and, and yesterday, uh, the last person to suffer about that will be English football. Uh, the last person, everybody yeah, else agreed. is already suffering. And, you know, our listeners and in the main, our networks are based around the UK and and the UK sees this least because they're least affected. You, you look at the shambles that is what's going on in Spanish, Italian, uh, to a lesser extent, German f- and French football, and certainly the smaller leagues like my Scotland. <laughs> this has been going for 20 years and we have been we have been, you know, sucked dry of what we're talking about now. England will be the last to suffer. The Premiership will have more investment in it. But remember, the Premiership's problem is that it only has four Champions League slots. And the more and more Arabia buys up clubs and the candidates for those slots goes from four to six as it is now to seven with Newcastle to 10 when you add in uh, Everton and who knows who they're going to buy. I think that's going to be unstable and volatile. And ultimately, the fact is this. If you have a sport that's losing money the way European soccer loses money, it's going to be eternally unstable and eternally taken away from what you like to call the authenticity of sport. Because big money that covers unsustainable losses is by definition, Grant, unauthentic. It's not authentic. Oh, look, look, you're right. I mean, it, I thought the, the Super League documentary did a good job of taking this back to Perez's Galacticos. You know, that was that was where this all started. You know, that was how he got elected and he had that incredible run of success with the Galacticos. And, and I think in the Premier League, Rog, as you say, it's not such a problem having Man City, Chelsea, United, Arsenal, uh, Newcastle now. I'm not going to put Spurs in there because we're playing them tonight. It's not so bad having four or five, six big clubs at the top and then a whole bunch of others scrapping around because, you know, the scrappy teams get a chance to beat, like the way Fulham beat Chelsea the other day, right? So it's a big deal for Fulham fans when you beat Chelsea or you beat Arsenal, you beat any of the big clubs and there's plenty of other good, tight games going on. But these other leagues you're talking about, they've only got two teams or in Germany one and a half teams. So it's this, you know, yep. Germany won, yeah. uh, Bayern won, what, 13 times in a row or something ridiculous? They won the league, the Bundesliga? Yeah, no, no. You don't need to tell me how unsustainable No, exactly it right. And, and Italy, Juventus won, <laughs> Juventus, what, yeah. nine in a row? Minus 15 points this week. Minus yeah, so, so I was going to ask you about that because I've seen the headlines. So I wanted, to, I wanted to know what actually has happened with that. Well, it's just the whole, you know, um, accounting. I'm, I'm not going to go into the details. The whole accounting manipulation around uh, player trading gains and, you know, wage that were hidden in some way or another. Loads of clubs have been caught up in this. It is pretty much the way Italian football works. Italian football is a shambles. I'm going to put a caveat there for Milan, AC Milan, because I think they have done extremely well in the last two or three years to not do that. But in the main, Italian football is the Wild West. 
Juventus uh, have been, and they, their defence is, you know, why only us? Because everybody admitted yeah. it. That was their defence in 2006 as well. It's, it's the, the classic defence. It, it, I just call it the Machiavelli defence in Italy. All guilty, nobody guilty. All guilty, nobody guilty. So Juventus will appeal this and they probably will get away with it. But the fact is that... Um, they're not sustainable. They're losing a huge amount of money. Inter's bust. Uh, Milan, like I said, probably okay. And then, you know, you see you see things in Italian football that are just shambolic. You know, did you see that guy, the, the coach uh, of Salernitana, that was sacked and then reinstated two days later? You yeah. may not have seen that. David Nicola, he's called, he was the coach last year of Salernitana and amazingly kept them up. Nobody thought he would keep them up. He kept them up. And, you know, then Salernitana is sold to a younger guy from Naples uh, who made a lot of money selling his education business to CVC. So I would say a pretty credible guy. Nicola uh, is doing quite well this year as well. So he's keeping going. But he loses a game 8-2 to Atalanta. He, he conceded eight goals. And he was sacked. Sacked on the spot. Um <laughs> Well, I mean, like, <laughs> your, your club is a new club. Anyway, it, it's that whole thing about Leicester City I, and, you know, sacking Ranieri. You know I hate that kind of stuff. If a guy has done you a turn and kept you up last year and keeping you up this year, when it's difficult, you've got to support them. That's what loyalty is about. And, and anyway, um, that's what happened because a lot of the players the sporting director and everybody around this club in Salernitana is near Naples. It's, so it's very Southern like culture. They got him uh, to, to change his mind uh, and he was re reinstated two days later. Now you might say, oh, that's a lovely romantic story. Yes, but Salernitana probably don't have the money to pay him off and get another coach right. because, you know, like Serie A is a financial basket case and so many of them are comes back to what I was saying earlier about the value of rights. You know, uh, Serie A is, is propped up by a DAZN bid for their, their TV rights. You saw how much money DAZN lost in the last year, yeah. billions and billions. How can you be positive about the future of Serie A? How, how can you be positive about that? You, you are totally outgunned by the monies available in England. For a million reasons, it's not a market that a serious corporate financier would invest in and, and and you know this is why I just keep coming back to Grant I can't get my head around it sport just seems to be in this kind of like la la moment of it's all going to be okay and I just follow the money and I think it's anything but okay well look, we'll see we'll see but um it was interesting to me that, that they, the prosecutor was asking for a nine point deduction and they got 15 so there's obviously a deal to be done Rog <laughs> oh they'll get away I think they'll get away with it I think it'll go to zero in my you opinion. do really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. This is Italy, Grant. This is Italy, Grant. Wow. We'll see. We'll I, I figured they'd cut I it do... to nine and everyone would be happy, but hey. It's, no, uh... no, 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 no. They've got to get in the Champions League, uh, Juventus, and, and nine is not going to get them in the Champions League. You wait and see. I think this goes, uh, this disappears. The Oracle has spoken. <laughs> yeah, let's move. Let's talk about the other big documentary which I watch with a lot of interest because, you know, I've got people that, that, that were very involved in it. The tennis one on Netflix. Great point, yeah. What was your view on that, Grant, when you watched that? Uh, I haven't finished it yet, but uh, I enjoyed it, Rog. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the Nick Curios one at the beginning. Uh, I enjoyed the Bettinetti, 
Bettinetti? I forget who pronounces it. Berrettini. 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 I enjoyed the Berrettini one with him and his girlfriend, uh, the Aussie girl. It's not as compelling to me as, say, Drive to Survive was. And certainly the trailers that I've seen so far for the PGA Tour one, uh, which is coming in a couple of weeks' time, look tremendous. But I don't know whether that's because I'm a lot more interested in golf than I am in tennis. But I don't think you've enjoyed the tennis one, but I I, I enjoyed it. I just It wasn't must-see viewing for me. I've, I've kind of... Whereas Drive to Survive, I'll binge watch. That one I've kind of, you know, watched, I think, the first three episodes. And I've still got a few more to watch and I haven't rushed back to watch them, but I will. Well, that's telling. You know, I, I watched yeah. it with my daughter just to, to kind of like, um, to just sense with a younger generation. And, and it's, it's just, I just think it's such a great advantage to watch content and certainly sports content with uh, kids that are um, that age. Because they, they, they don't sugarcoat it. You know, like... Um, I'll work backwards. I said to her at the end of the, the the series, so you're going to watch tennis now? And she just laughed at me. She said, why would I do that? <laughs> uh, and I thought, right. Um, so I said, did you like the documentary? She said, yeah. You know, like, um, and, and then listen to these comments. Um, Kyrgios, uh, she said, he was only hanging out with that girl on the documentary for two months. Yeah. Uh, she, she was a new girlfriend. And, she, and this is my daughter saying, look at the airtime she got. What a great deal that was for the girlfriend. She got the the uh, amazing exposure and like she was interested in all that little dynamic right. uh, there. And then in the Berrettini one, you know, this wasn't her, this was my son. And, she, and, and uh, if you remember the Berrettini one, she is taking an interview after getting beat at seven yeah. o'clock in yeah. the morning the day after. And he says, what are you joking? I'm, you know, like, and then did you see the state of the room? Yeah. yeah. And how untidy she was? You know, my family came to the conclusion, look, mate, you got to ditch her. She is just a drag. She is not the kind of support you need for your career. And in fact, he's come to his senses. She's gone. He's no longer with her, Grant. Okay. You know? Anyway, the point is, were we commenting on, you know, the narrative, which of the whole, for the whole thing, the narrative of that documentary is this. Tennis is a difficult sport. You're on your own. The pressure to win is enormous. There's moments there where I find it very difficult. Uh, I get in the zone. I get out the zone. I lose. My coach gets angry. He tells me to keep it together. And at the end, I either a win or a lose. That's the narrative, more or less. It's a mental health type thing. Can I keep it together mentally? It's all in the head. And the fact is, Grant, you can't sell that narrative over and over because people get bored. It's why That's why Drive to Survive is different. You've got too many different narratives there to get you bored. But for the 10th time to see somebody looking into camera with tears in their eyes saying, it's so tough out there, it's lonely, yeah. I'm on my own. Yeah. It's, it's fucking boring, man. And like, I'm telling you, that's the problem with this sport of tennis. I know a lot of people don't want to hear it, but, you know, uh, he, here's the other side of it, Grant. You know, our, our DMs were full of Sir Andy Murray, isn't that wonderful? 35 years old, isn't it heroic? Yeah, listen, hats off. Just absolutely hats off. As modern entertainment content, six hours finishing at 2 a.m., no thanks. That's worthless to me. Worthless to me, you know? And, and that's what the confusion is. 
people are confusing sporting glory with content that works in a broadcast market. And I don't think tennis works because it's too long. It's too binary as a narrative, as I've just explained. And and I think it's in real trouble. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, the Murray game, I I, I wouldn't have sat and watched it for six hours, but I saw that they were going into this fifth set. So I turned it on. It wasn't 2am in the morning here, so it was a much more amenable time to sit and watch it. And I watched that last night. It was tremendous, you know. And as you say, hats off to Murray, not just to do it once, but to do it twice in successive matches. His age with, a, with an artificial hip is absolutely immense. And as you say, it's everything that sporting competition is about. I didn't see his four-set loss to Agut, but he's out now. Uh, Nadal's out. Djokovic is strolling along. You know, I probably won't watch another match in the, in the Australian Open unless I get a notification that the, that the final's close, you know? So I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But it's, it's, and this is why I suspect that the, the PGA Tour documentary is going to be so much better is because it, it was filmed right through the live thing. So as much as golf is every bit the same as tennis in that mental component, Rog, in terms of, you know, getting in your own head and what have you, there is a blockbuster storyline because it's going to run through this. That's right. Going to run through this that thing. Is that, right. is, that is not one man's struggles against himself. It's it's uh, it's the existential future of the game. So I, I, I you know it, I hadn't thought of it in the terms you just laid out, but you're absolutely right as always. Well, no, I, I, listen. That's my take on it. I think there's a lot of people that need deserve a lot of credit for that documentary oh, production it was values. It was are great. excellent, but but you're right. As in terms of compelling, I, I think they're flogging a dead horse. Yeah, I, I really do. I, I, well. Everybody can disagree with that, but that's my thing personally. And I, and I would segue, you know, uh, into the the other side of all of this. If tennis is the poster child of what I think is is disappearing, you, you look at what's coming up, which is influencer sport. And I know you hate this, Grant, and you've always hated with this. With a passion. But it's got to the stage now that you've got to say, you won, hats off. You know, KSI and, and, and the deal he's now done with the zone. And everything he's put around it with um, what's called, you know, uh, alternative bundles of the prime drink, the the sidemen charity football match, you know, uh, he's won. You know, he's understood my daughter. Sport industry hasn't understood my daughter. He has. She watches him. She 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 watches boxing because she's into that thing. He is the evangelist, the John the Baptist for another concept in sport, which is existing audience. Trump's format and tradition. And sport hates that. You hate that. But I'm afraid that's the winning horse, man. It's the winning horse. And, you know, what he's doing with uh, the new boxing thing he's got, what Jake Paul's doing with old guest Nakiza Bardarian with uh, mixed martial arts and and everything like that. I, I don't think there's a debate anymore. Young Gen Z sport is fundamentally different, needs a fundamentally different model. And, you know, this this guy KSI is not lauded enough for what he has done. We started off talking about Musk as an entrepreneur and we know he's a fake. This guy isn't a fake. And not only is he not a fake, he's not doing it from the sidelines and, you know, the puppet master. He's in the ring throwing and taking the punches. What more do you want from this guy, Grant? Well, let me, let me ask you this, Roger. When I, when I think about all this stuff, and obviously all the conversations we've had have forced me to think about it a lot, what does the pace of change do to this? Because if you think about 
my grandfather and how he consumed sport and my father and how he consumed sport. And, you know, my dad and I were were at Craven Cottage uh, last year for the Brighton game and, and I, th- I can't remember if I told you this before or not, but we were sitting there chatting at half time. We realised that it was his 75th year of going to games at Craven Cottage and my 50th. So we've been going to that same stadium and it's had facelifts and, you know, seats and whatever, but we've been going to that same place for 75 years in his case, 50 in mine. And the change between how my grandfather would have consumed sport, my father consumed sport, how I consumed sport, the pace of change was glacial. And so what you ended up with were generations that you could format your content for and have a really long run where that format would be successful and you would you would be able to reap the benefits of that and the steady income streams, et cetera, et cetera. Millennials are very different from me as a Gen Z, uh, as Gen X, sorry. Gen Z are very different from millennials. So you've had a massive change in one generation there, Rog. And so I wonder what, I don't know what the gen that comes after Gen Z is going to be. Maybe we go back to A again, who knows? It's alpha, I think it's alpha. Yeah, that, that, makes, that makes sense. I think it is. Gen, think gen it is. woke, I don't know. But the change is going to be massive and fast. And so I wonder whether, if, all, if all these sports start tooling up to cater to Gen Z, what happens when Gen Alpha come along and they want something completely different and you don't have the kind but of three-generational runway? Well, isn't it? I don't know. Just, I'm it, asking you. No, I just think it's. I just think it's a quicker pace of the same, you know. Um, and, and but you're, the point you're making is absolutely bang on, and it's why I've had a lot of frustration with people that that call me a a doom monger and and you know a bear and and you know chaos got chaos estate. All those, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all those kind <laughs> of things. You could just say Scotsman. The the doom monger is implied. Uh, yes, but listen. It, 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 and, and that now goes on to chat GPT and a lot of people hang on to these lovely ideas. Oh, it can never replace this. It can never replace that. There are some people that do not like change and, and that's most of them. And, and, and sadly, you know, they, they, they are, they have these different stages of denial of change, like the, the, the different stages of grief. It's the same with, with, with them, you know, uh, and, and the fact is, is that the pace has picked up, as you've said, and in 10 years time, the world of business, the world of entertainment, and, and by definition, then the world of sport will be radically, radically different, you know, like, there's enough evidence around to see that. Boxing has been completely changed by KSI. Everywhere you look, it's changing. Everywhere you look, and we've only started now. So, But the the, the, the challenge is, Grant, uh, is to see if you can keep it under control because it's not all success stories. Look at look at PK and the Davis Cup. Uh, his company, Cosmos, went to, I think, the ITF, that's one of these governing bodies in tennis, and said, look, we'll look after the, the Davis Cup for you, give you a big chunk of money up front will change the format and it'll work and in fact they're only a few years in and it hasn't worked and the thing has come off the rails um because it just they just couldn't make it work and then you know pk is an interesting guy because then he's he's got this thing now called the king's league which let's leave the shakira thing out for a side we might not get time for this but the king's league in itself is unbelievable this is like kind of like a seven aside football thing where 
you know, it's got all these crazy gimmicks, like, you know, playing Monopoly. Yeah. Like at the start of the game, you get five cards that can do, you know, uh, an instant penalty, can remove a player from the opposition for two minutes, a uh, goal counts double. And then the other thing is they've got this guy that plays, um, there's two ringers that are allowed and they play in masks, you know, like the fucking masked singer on TV. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like you're, you're thinking, uh, you know, is, is this the future of football? Uh, and, and I don't think it is. So like in anything, you got to work out what is what is real and what is just absolute gimmickry trying to like, and, and the answer is it's not easy to know, Grant. It's not easy to know, but, you know, you, you look at PK and uh, he's at the forefront of this and he's the one that would also say football needs to change, my kids don't watch it, everything like that. The answer is somewhere in the middle, but, to answer your question, we need to work out the pace of change. As I say, it's only getting faster. And, and I just, look, I, I don't know. But it strikes me that what we've spent an awful lot of time talking about in these conversations is the importance of gearing your entire strategy to Gen Z. And I just don't know how long a runway you have with that, Rog. I just don't know. Um, because it strikes me that it's an awful lot shorter than the runway you had with our generation. It's shorter than the runway you had with millennials. And I, 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 I just, I'm just curious to see how this develops and how quickly Gen Z get bored with it and want something completely different. And you've, you've got an awful lot of sunk cost in, in contracts you've signed and God knows what to produce content a certain way that people suddenly go, eh, yeah, bored with that now, want something else. But okay, right, that's a great question. But let me rephrase it in the in the way that that works for my head. What you're saying is, are the changes for Gen Z in sport a good investment for providers of capital? Is it going to stay constant enough for you to go to get a return? I think that's a very fair question because things are moving so quickly. You could invest a lot of capital in something that moves slightly away from what you thought it was. My way of talking about this on this podcast is is not that question, which is a great question. It's if I was an investor of capital, would I invest on KSI, on that stuff, knowing that I've got risk? Or would I invest in old sport, which is tennis, which is rugby, which is whatever you want to call it? If I've only got a choice of two and I've got a billion to invest in the Gen Z sport, or the old sport, I know which one I'm going for, Grant. I don't know if that answers your question, but you're asking a question that I don't think is the right one because you have to deal with the way things are. Yes, it's moving quickly, but I think there's a better chance to get a return with the young kids than there is in flogging a dead horse for a dead audience of people of our generation. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. We all know the, the cycles and we all know how Gen Z right now spend all their time on their phones and content consuming and all this sort of stuff. But we also know, Rog, they're going to grow up and they're going to have families and they're going to have, they're not going to do that so much. They are going to have much less time to devote to whatever. And so you're going to have to start catering to the generation that comes behind them. Now you have a tailwind in that Gen Z are getting married later and having fewer kids, et cetera, et cetera. So that you've, you've kind of stretched the runway out before you. But the reality is that the circle of man's time on this planet is roughly the same in slightly different quantities for each generation. 
like Gen Z are going to get old and they're going to consume content in a different way. And so along are going to come well, okay. to Alpha. I, I've heard this. I've heard this a few times. I'm sure you have. So let, let's, but let's debate this because Gen Z, they like snackable, right? So that's where we're starting. Your thesis or the thesis is once they get kids and responsibility and jobs, which means de facto they will have even less time than they do today, you think they are going to want long form or they're going to want even more snackable. No, I'm not, I'm not, thesis, I'm not saying that. I'm not making assumptions about what they'll want at all. I don't know. But I suggest but that, their but that's taste what, will change. That, that's what the th- and I think it will go even more snackable, is, is what I'm saying to you. The thesis is, oh, they will come to love five-day test match. They'll come to love the glory of Wimbledon in a quiet afternoon sipping a Pims. I think they won't. I think they will go from what they are today, which is snackable, to ultra-snackable as they have got less time as they get older. And that's why I don't think there is a return to the old way and they'll grow out of it, which is the kind of comfort, the leanest comfort blanket that the sports industry talks about. I think that's wrong. I think it doubles down on snackable. Oh, you, you may be right. It's going to be interesting. They'd, they'd be the first generation to do that. But hey, there's always there's always a first generation to do something. So maybe you're right. I, I The jury's out for me. Uh, you know, I look at my own consumption of these things. There is there is no way in my youth I would have sat on the couch and watched three football matches back to back. But on a Saturday when I'm in the US, I love doing that. <laughs> I, yeah. I absolutely love doing it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, look, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they are different. Well, listen. Well, um, we've we've only got a few minutes left. Have you got anything else? To throw at me this week? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't get to almost a lot of stuff. We didn't mention the Shakira traded in a Ferrari for a Twingo, yeah. uh, a Rolex for a Casio, and 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 PK. You, you've got to love this. PK gets uh, Casio to sponsor the Kings League and drives to the training ground in a Twingo. You got to love that kind of beef. I know you hate it, but um, that's the world we're in, mate. I'm just looking at my other notes. Um, well, I, actually, I, Rog, to be clear, I don't yeah. mind that so much because that's obviously, that's real beef and he's just stood his ground and come back at it. So actually, I don't mind that. It's not manufactured beef, right? That's, an, that's a jilted lover and he's gone, yeah, well, fair enough, I can play this game. So I don't mind that. It's manufactured beef. Right, okay, let's talk play. about real or manufactured beef. And this is the last one, actually. That's a great segue. Arsenal Man United, um, right? That was That's real beef those teams have. Right, okay, well, here's another one. Is this real beef or not? Chris Eubank Jr. and Liam Smith, where uh, Smith says to him in the pre the pre fight conference, you know, I've never seen you with a girl. Nobody's ever seen you with a girl. Is there something you want to tell us? You know, which is very aggressive, right? You know, and he went on and on. This guy Liam Smith went on and on. Eubank handled it well until at the end he comes up with a line that says, well, tell you what, and you're not talking about what people say and what they don't say. Uh, people say and see that you're always out with a different woman and you're cheating on your wife. Conclusion, I'd rather be gay than a cheat. That's how the press conference went before you bank Liam Smith. Now, is that real? Uh, I, and if it's real, it's really nasty and horrible and using homophobia. It's just horrible, horrible stuff. Or is it the way that boxing has always promoted its fights? I'm going to beat you. I'm going to steal your wife. She'll know what a real man is. That's the stuff that went on with Sonny Liston and, 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 and all of that kind of stuff. So was that real or was it fake, Grant? I, Rog, honestly, I don't know. I didn't see. I saw a headline about the result of the fight. Some of my mates were talking about it. I, I I don't see boxing over here. I haven't seen any boxing for ages, so I honestly don't know. 
But anyway, listen, you know, have a look at it because I think that was awful for a whole lot of different reasons. But in 2023, still saying to somebody, I haven't seen you with a woman, I haven't seen you with a girl, what's wrong with you? I, is there something you want to tell us? I, I, I really struggle with that. I really do. I, I thought we'd gone past that. Yeah, look, it's combat between two men. I mean, it's you're going to do anything to get under the guy's skin. So no, I don't think you're ever, yeah, you're so ever past fake. anything. So, like. so let's let's finish with the, the metaphor for Liverpool's season, uh, which obviously has gone back to match of the day, um, <laughs> which was uh, d- during the FA Cup game between Wolves and Liverpool. Uh, and uh, what happened for anybody that didn't know is some some person taped a telephone to the back of the set and through that telephone played what sounded like some woman getting serviced by Rocco Sifredi. And uh, that was quite funny. Gary Lineker was quite embarrassed. But I-, I think the best way to sum that up is that is exactly what's happened to Liverpool <laughs> and their season. Well, I have to say, I have to say... From behind. The, 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 uh, the game, <laughs> Harvey Elliott's goal won the game. Did you see the goal, Rog? I don't watch the FA Cup. Okay, it was it was a good goal. It was, it was a, he, he ran from inside his own half, beat three or four players, and stuck it in the top corner. It was a great goal. But I thought Lineker, who I actually think is a very very good broadcaster, at the end he said, uh, you know, something along the lines of, you know, uh, so we've had a, we've had a, a game tonight won by a screamer from Harvey Elliott, and that wasn't the only one we had to deal with. Good night, <laughs> which I thought was absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant way to kind of acknowledge it make fun of it and just kind of very, very put good. it behind you. Very, 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 very good. Very good. But, um, Excellent man. Yeah, the, the guy that uh, the guy that did it, I, I don't know, he's he's one of these guys who's known as quote-unquote famous prankster, which is it's just... Jarvo 69. There you go. I That's think the, 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 the clue is in the, the number. Who sounds Jarvo like the 69. sort of bloke that would just be so annoying down the pub, you know, serial prankster. He'd be like, um, yeah, he'd yeah. be like the Harry Enfield character who, in the office, Colin, with the bright ties, who was always making jokes about everything uh, that just yeah. weren't funny. Yeah. But uh, yes, yeah. no, that was I did see that. It was uh, I had no idea what was going on when I first saw it. I thought, what the hell is this? And then I saw the story about how the phone had been taped to the back of the set, which <laughs> fair play. That's <laughs> kind. Fair play. The long con. Fair play. This is pretty good. Yeah, that is good. That is good. Fair well, mate, play. listen, we are we are bang on time. I'm looking at my at my clock here. It's uh, we, oh, good. we've literally just turned over the hour, so uh, it's flown by as always, mate. My thanks to you for. Yeah, I didn't uh, get to a lot of stuff. For, well, I just didn't save it. If it's still relevant, next time we do one of these, we can get through it then, much. And thanks to you out there for listening to us. If you don't follow us already on Twitter, you can do that very easily. You'll find us at Entertained R. That's the word A R E. You can find me at T T M Y G H. And myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Until next time, my friend. Take care, Grant, and thank you. <laughs> <laughs>